0: I don't have any artwork this morning I'm just going to give you some verses in a minute It's a different version We're going to have up there Mark chapter 4 But it's different because I use different versions when I preach It depends on what I'm preaching on So there'll be no PowerPoints I'll give you the PowerPoints verbally And then go over the title It's number 5 and it's all based on one story of The disciples With Jesus going to the other side He tells the disciples they're leaving the multitudes We talked about that last week And it leaves a multitude, they're going to go across, and Jesus said, come with me on my boat, we're going to the other side, and while they're on the lake, they encounter the storm. So this is number five, this one's simply called Soul Storms Reveal Who We Really Are. Soul Storms Reveal Who We Really Are. Remember the story, I I, I didn't get to the end of it because I wanted to save it, but remember I told you the story about Muhammad Ali, and I'll just rebrief you, he was asked, what was the hardest fight, who was the most difficult fight to fight against? And he told the story of his bout against Sonny Liston back in 1964. And I don't know if you know this, I used to follow boxing a lot when I was unsaved. I read any boxing book I read. I think I read them all. And um, when Muhammad Ali was going to get ready to fight Sonny Liston, he was so afraid at times, he would shake so bad. They were afraid that he might actually get killed by Sonny Liston. They said, well, maybe we shouldn't take this fight, Muhammad you, you might he might actually die. He was so afraid. And if you ask him, he said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I was afraid. I was afraid I was going to die. He's honest about it. And this is what he says. Listen was the strongest man I ever fought. Every time he hit me, it hurt worse than it did. Every time I hit him, it hurt, it hurt me worse than it did him. I gave him everything I had. When the sixth round ended, I was completely spent. I couldn't even raise my arms. I couldn't even stand up to go back into the ring. I sat down. I said, I'm going home. I told my trainer, Angelo Dundee. I'm not going back in there. And this part I left out on purpose. So here he is. He says, I'm done. I'm spent. I ain't doing any anymore. He's sitting on the stool. And Angelo Dundee says, no, you're going to go in there. You're going to come out with the world champion. And Angelo basically pushed him. When the round started, he pushed him out there. He won the round, became world champion. Pushed him. Our story to me is like Jesus pushing his disciples. And you and I in Christ, the disciples come to a place where they are totally lost. They have nothing left. They think they're going to die. There's nothing left. And Jesus is pushing them. This storm is about them coming to their wit's end. He's pushing them. You know, all of us have more in us than we realize. There's more fight in us than we realize. And sometimes you and I, as we live for Christ, we're going to be brought to points, not just once, not just twice, over and over again. You say, I'm done. I ain't going back in there. And God will push us along. that's what the story is about the disciples are totally freaking out they are brought to the end of themselves and that's where it's actually going to start jesus is pushing them no you guys this is not over it's the starting point follow with me storms reveal who we trust in or who we really are mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 35 the bible says that evening jesus said to his disciples let us cross over to the east side so they left the crowd and the disciples started across the lake with him in the boat And some of the other boats followed along. Suddenly a storm struck the lake. Waves started splashing into the boat. It was about to sink. Jesus was in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow and he was asleep. His disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care? We were about to drown. Another version says we were about to perish. So he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be quiet, calm down. The wind stopped and it was a dead calm. And he said to them, why are you so cowardly? And you still not have any faith. They were overwhelmed by fear and said one to another, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Another version says, they were more afraid than ever and said to each other, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obeyed him? First point. <clears throat> Storms often expose how we are not trusting the Lord but rather ourselves. I said last week, I talked about when Jesus said, where is your faith? I talked about some people have got faith in money. Some people got faith in their wealth. they got faith in all these different things. This is a little different take. This is not what you have faith in. But sometimes we don't have faith in the things I spoke of last week. But if we're honest, sometimes we have a lot of faith in ourselves. We trust in ourselves more than we probably ought to. The disciples say, Lord, we're about to die. He gets up, rebukes the wind, because... You can fake it during calm waters, right? You can fake a lot of things when things going easy. In our story, it starts out easy. I talked about that. But they come to a point where, you know, this is, not, this is not going easy at all. In fact, it's got worse and worse and worse. And I don't know what took them to wake Jesus up. But he's bringing them to a point that they are going to wake him up. But it took some time to get there. And so they're, you know, no, no problem. We can handle this. We can handle this. And sometimes we're the same way. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 verse 26, he who trusts comfortably in his own heart is dull, thick-headed, but he who walks skillfully with godly wisdom will be rescued. This, this storm that they're in is a storm that will bring them to an end of themselves. You think about this for a moment. This storm, it's a real storm. The boat's up and it's down. It's flooded. Just the thought of Jesus in there right there just sleeping. How could he honestly sleep during the storm? I mean, the boat's going. Just, these are seasoned uh, men that have been on the sea. They're, they're afraid for their entire lives. They're not faking it. They're really afraid. And there's Jesus asleep. I don't know what you would think if Jesus was there sleeping. I'd like to know who woke him up. But the fact that he could sleep. say, so how, how, can, how can he sleep? I mean, we're, we're going to die in a minute. How can he sleep? But he is I said it before, the storm don't wake Jesus up, the disciples do. When you and I cry out to God, it's not the environment that's going to move the hand of God. What moves the hand of God is when you and I cry out to him. That's what woke him up. The storm, hey, I ain't worried about the storm, but when my people cry out to me, I'll I'll answer them. And so, but they trusted themselves. Remember I mentioned, maybe I didn't, Artie, I think I did when we talked to Artie the other day. On the reservation, they've they've been locked down for two years, and they still have problems. On the reservation, it was one of the most uh, difficult places to live during the COVID. Still, is very very bad there. And he said to me, "COVID revealed the hearts of people." He said, "COVID was a revealer of the hearts of people." He said, "Because there's things that happened in my own church." He said, "That I would have never imagined. There's people that I thought were strong that were actually weak." He said, "Through all this battle we've gone through," he said, "It's a different. It's it's just hard to believe." What's happened to the church and people's lives, it revealed their hearts. It really was. It revealed people's hearts, the COVID thing. And so sometimes people, they really do trust in our, we really do trust in ourselves. And in a crisis, I'll say this. When a crisis shows up, it shows us, you and I, a side that we're blind to. If you would ask the disciples, do you really trust the Lord? I bet they always said, absolutely, we trust him. Fully we trust him. Absolutely. Well, at this moment, they're not trusting him at all. Christ has revealed a sight to us that we're all blind to. And we must know our own weakness so we can rely upon the Lord's strength. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he said, Brothers and sisters, I, we don't want you to be ignorant about all the suffering we experience in the province of Asia. It was so extreme that it was beyond our ability to endure. And then he answers why they had to go through this. But we suffered so that we would stop trusting in ourselves and learn to trust in God. That we would stop trusting in ourselves, but we would learn to trust in God. And so here it is demonstrated. It's being demonstrated. You and I, we, we turn to ourselves and say, Oh, Pastor, well, how do you know if, if I'm trusting in myself or not? Well, you, you know, obviously you get your wisdom, you, you love God, but there's some simple ways. It's demonstrated by a number of things. It's demonstrated whether, whether or not you trust God by your obedience to God so, a couple things here. If you are someone that doesn't take time to pray, you're trusting in yourself. If there's someone here this morning and you're unfaithful to church attendance, you may not realize it, you may not look at it like that, but you're trusting in yourselves. Because what you're really saying is, I don't need to talk to God, I don't need to be around God's God or God's people, you're trusting in yourself. If, you're, if you are not faithful in giving, and you haven't learned to give your tithe and an offering, you're trusting in yourself. That's that's what you're doing. You may not look at it that way, but that's exactly what you're doing. It's a form of not trusting in God. If you refuse God's counsel, you come to service, and God speaks to you, either through a preacher or some counseling, and you you say, I don't want to do that. Same thing. You are trusting in yourself. If you refuse to change your life, you're trusting in yourself. As we come to church, as, as time goes on, time passes, we all should be changing by the power of God. But well, if you refuse to change and say, no, this is who I am, this is how I am, it's how I'm always going to be, you're trusting in yourselves. It's easy. Trust in ourselves and you and you mark it down. God will bring you an end to yourself. God will put you in a place where you're at wit's end you think you're gonna lose your mind. So why would he do that? So you trust him. Paul said he did it to us. The apostle Paul said it happened to me, so I learned not to trust in myself. If anyone could trust in themselves, it would have been Paul. Paul said, man, I learned the lesson. I trust in myself, my wisdom, my power, my knowledge. It didn't get me anywhere. I have to learn to trust in God. Number two, second point. Storms reveal our distorted view of the problem. Storms reveal our distorted view of the problem. You can find out a lot in crisis about people. You can find a lot about their perspective. You can kind of locate them in their faith. The Bible says, the masters, they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, we are, we are perishing. And then they say, don't you care? Or another version says, do we mean so little to you that you don't care about us? many I mean, that's a wrong picture of the problem here. I and mean, you think of it, they, they are they're, they're really getting on Jesus, but you and I get on God too when God doesn't, doesn't do what we, what we want him to do also. We're no different than them. And it's pretty common for any one of us to attack God's character and goodness when bad things happen in our life. And Jesus is upset with them. He rebukes them, but he's upset with them because they challenge, they they, they doubt his love for them. And they have no faith. He can't believe this. It's sarcasm. It literally says this. Why do we mean so little to you? How many know we mean everything to God? He died for us. And so if you ever brought to a place, and you will be, I hope we learn to walk by faith. I'll get to that in a moment. But if you're brought to a place where storm, you wonder if God cares about you, especially if you've been saved for a while, does God really care about me? You know what that reveals to me? It reveals to me your heart. It reveals to me your heart that you lack the understanding of God's goodness up to your life up to this point, up to this point. When you say, does God really care? Stop. What do you hold? On, stop here. Uh, that tells me well, you, you can't, you're blind to seeing all the good things God's done to this point, or you just never saw it, never thought about it, or you, or you knew all about it, you forgot it. It reveals something about your own heart if you say something like that. Deuteronomy. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 only be on guard and diligently watch yourself so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen. So that you do not slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and grandchildren. You wonder if God's, does God care? So I throw th- can I sh- uh, throw a few things out this morning? You walked in here with your all dressed up self, you drove in your nice car, full belly. You know, And the audacity to say, does God care? Come on. I don't think there's one in here that's hungry. You walked in this morning, you were breathing. You say, oh, no big deal. Go to the hospital. Someone's on their last breath. You can walk. You can talk. You can listen. You can do all of these things. And you have the audacity to say to God, God, do you care? Come on, man. If God didn't, de- if God did not deliver us, only the Lord knows where you and I would be this morning. Amen. I think I would be dead because I was just crazy. I wasn't, I wasn't. A, I mean, I was a sinner, We're always sinners. but I was a crazy sinner. It makes it worse. <laughs> one time I was at a bar and I challenged this guy to shoot me. He had a shotgun. I said, "Come on, be what you got big boy." Got a shotgun, aimed it at me. I said, "Come on, shoot." In my mind, I thought I could duck it. I was that quick. <laughs> That's stupid. It was at a big bar in Phoenix. I still know where it's at, in Grand Avenue. It's a huge place. People are, the crowds come out. There's guys guy with a shotgun, an Indian guy with a shotgun. He got mad inside or something. And I came out with him. Everyone was like running. I said, hey, come on. Come on. I, in my mind, I thought he shoots. I just go, Shh. I watched too many movies, man. I'm crazy. And I did that and I was normal. That's what I'm talking about. Can you imagine? If I did drugs. God's given you the gift of life. Everyone sitting here this morning, there will be a day it will be your, you're gonna breathe your last breath. There's gonna be a moment in your life, as love is gonna be around you, you're gonna breathe your last, literally your last breath. The breath you just breathed right now, God gave it to you. Does God care? Or maybe one of you, maybe you're one of these people that think God owes it to you. God owes me a good life. God owes me the breath. God owes me a, you know what, man, you're wrong, you're wrong. God's been good to you so already. Does he care? Look back at your past. He's done a lot for you. The fact that you're still alive and you walked in here. My brother, he's not here this morning, the one that had stroke, the mini-stroke. Chris, he's on year three and he still can't walk and function completely. I am so thankful that I could walk. I'm so thankful I can talk, because I didn't know if I was Arab, you'll talk again, walk again. When you think you might lose the very simple things, you really do appreciate them differently, that you can walk in here and I can talk to you, see the people I really like and the people I don't like. Just kidding. Don't come up and ask me, am I one of the people you don't like? I'll have to lie and ask God to forgive me. <laughs> No, I love you. I love you, brother. I always loved you. I love you. You don't get on my nerves at all. I love you so much. He walks away and says, God, forgive me for lying. I repent. Okay. Clean. I'm clean. <laughs> Disciples are brought to the end of themselves, and they, what do they say to Jesus? We're dying. It's over. It's, 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 we're perishing. We're over. We're going to die. It is over. I mean, that, that's not a very good outlook of life. And their mind game's over. And the truth was the disciples were full of faith in the wrong thing. They were full of faith in the wrong thing. They had the f- complete faith for the worst could, could happen. That's what they're saying. We believe for the worst, Lord. I mean, that's not good faith. That's not good faith at all. They believe, you know, you, you got to believe something. It's still belief. It's just the wrong direction. The disciples are believing for the worst. We are going to perish. The end of our life. This is not going to get better. That's you got faith in that. How you know? You don't know if that's going to happen or not. They got the wrong kind of faith. They use the word faith. but I think you understand what I'm saying. They they believe for the worst. You know, you got to watch yourself as you serve God and you're in Christ for years, you've got to watch yourself that you don't become pessimistic, cynical, and full of unbelief. Those aren't the sins of the brand-new convert. Those, those seem to creep into the long-term saint. And we really do have to watch it. Being pessimistic it means a person who habitually sees or anticipates the worst thing that could possibly happen. And so I put down, as we age in Christ, we really do have to watch ourselves because you can find yourself just like the disciples living your Christian life, and when something goes wrong in a moment's time, all of a sudden you're believing for the worst outcomes. Or pessimistic or cynical. Cynicism will kill you. Cynicism is, is not good at all, and, and you have to watch, especially old saints. Sometimes old saints, I'm talking to myself, can be pretty mean, right? Don't you look at your old brothers? and say, that's you, talking about you right there. <laughs> Mean-spirited, judgmental, and hard, and angry. Instead of soft, open, and loving God and believing for the best. When I used to go out and preach around, and all over, I'd come back home, and sometimes you, we'd have a preacher preaching here at the church. And I always find this kind of funny. I'd ask one person, "How was the services?" And they say, "Man, it was unbelievable, Pastor. It was so good, man. I wish she was our pastor." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard that a lot. I had thick skin. So someone say, "Great, we had great services." And I ask someone else, and they say, "It was terrible." And I think, did you guys hear the same speaker? And the other one said, well, it was okay. You know, it's just okay. You know, just, nah. Maybe it's just your heart was just okay. (laughs) It's a heart thing, man. In the same service, the same preacher, one says, it was great, man. I Can't wait for him to come back. And the other says, well, you know, he's okay. I hope you don't come back, pastor. What did you hear? Let me know you hear with your heart. And it's easy as time goes on to become like this. You have to really really watch your heart over the long haul, man. That's why the Bible says it. Keep your heart with all caution. From it is the outgoings of life. Another version says, keep thy heart with utmost care or guard your heart. And guarding your heart is a deliberate choice. It's a personal discipline. You have to guard your heart. And when you find yourself becoming any of these things, a little pessimistic, a little humbling, a little cynical, you need to judge yourself. And the word guard, your heart, means guard. It means to watch over carefully and just make sure something, like okay, this bad attitude is coming in. I'm not going to let that in, man. I, you know, I have it. Yeah, I own it. God forgive me. You got to watch yourself, especially as years go on. You don't want to be saved 30 years and be old, ornery, and mean. You're going to be a loving Christian. I think someone who's saved longer ought to be more loving myself. I've seen some. I don't know who they met all the life. They, they, they ain't that loving. Hmm. Guard your heart, it says. Matthew says, but the things that come out of your mouth come from your heart, and those things that defile the man. Here's Moses talking to his people. They're having a hard time remembering God's goodness. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God is going before you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And how you saw the Lord your God, he cared for you again and again here in the wilderness just as he cares for a child. Moses is taking God's people down memory lane and he's asking them to remember all the things God done for them. Like the Red Sea, he parted the Red Sea or the the pillar of fire by night or the Egyptian army being killed. And now they're brought into the wilderness. And yes, they need food, they need water. They had absolutely nothing, and so here they are. They're brought to this place. What happens? They so quickly forget all the great things God done for them. The Bible says they cry out for water. Before we can get to that part, they talk about, you know, God, what does God do? God gives them quail, God gives them manna. They didn't have to go hunt for quail because cook. God cooked for them. They have to bake the bread, God took care of the peace people. But these are outstanding miracles. Listen to this miracle, maybe you've thought of it this way. Numbers 20, there was no water for the people to drink. So they rebelled against Moses. The people blame Moses. They always blame the pastor. If it goes bad, pastor's fault. Yeah, pastor carry up. Yeah. No, yeah. I've seen it gone. They blame Moses. They said, if we only had died in the presence of our brothers, why have you brought us, uh, the congregation of the Lord's people, to the wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why, do you make, why did you make us leave Egypt? <laughs> make us leave Egypt. They chose. Now it's, made, you made me. Okay. Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain. Listen to this. This is pretty important. I'm not going to preach on it, but give it to you. The land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. God will bring you into a place of barrenness. But he was the promised land. What you bring into the wilderness, what's in your heart, you'll bring it into the wilderness and it's going to come out. This is not an easy place to be. God brings us to this place, has no signal, no sign of blessing. How do you respond then? You respond in faith, walk by faith, walk by sight, look around and say, you know what? This place is terrible. And that's exactly what they did. They looked around and said, there's no way this place can meet my needs. Well, it's not the place that meets your needs anyway. God does. They're not looking at it like that. And Moses gets before the Lord, and God tells Moses, take your staff and get all the church together. And I want you to go there and speak to the rock over there, and the water's going to pour out. Provide enough water for the rock. You'll satisfy all the church and all the animals. Some estimate a million people plus animals. That's a big crowd of people, right? And when we think of God providing water through the rock, we think like a little spigot comes out. It would take 3,000 years to water all the animals and the people. It literally means there's a rock that he's going to speak to. Actually, he's going to hit in a minute. But when it says it came gushing out, it was like a river. Now, imagine that. There's a rock and water coming out of the rock like a river. Wouldn't that kind of move you a little bit? Wouldn't you look go look no, no, at that and go, now that's powerful. But here Moses, he's a little upset. He's having a hard time in church. Because this is what it says. Moses did, as he was told, he took the staff to the place where it was kept before the Lord. And he summoned the people together and said, okay, listen, you bunch of rebels, you want, you want water? I'll give you water. Having a hard day? Instead of speaking to the rock, what does he do? He hits the rock twice. Even though he was just, listen to this, even though he was disobedient, the water still came out. That's another sermon. <laughs> he was openly disobedient, and yet there was water. Because God's grace overrides your craziness. And God says, Moses, what are you doing? I told you to speak to You, you hit the rock. You're not going to the promised land. You, you failed to honor me in front of the people. What are you doing? You got mad. You took it out. You hit the rock. I told you to speak to the rock. And the rock was Christ. He takes out his frustration. You go, oh, you guys want water? I'll give you water. Mm, There's your water. Take that. But Here's what's crazy about it. They do this. All this water comes out of the rock. You're talking like a, some commentators say like a, like a river. And when the water came out and the people worship the Lord, they don't say thank you. There's no words even spoken. Lord, help us when God helps us greatly and we, no, thank you. Or, ah, just another miracle. Man, watch our hearts, Lord. Lord, watch our hearts. They don't don't see that and go, what a miracle, Moses, you're right, we're wrong. (laughs) They just drink the water and go on, and Moses is judged by God for it. Crazy. The Bible says in Psalms 27, Oh, do not hide yourself when I'm trying to find you. Do not angrily reject me, your servant. Listen to this. You have been my help in all my trials before. When you wonder if God cares, just take a quick look back, and you see the hand—you see the handy print of God all over your life. You see all the miracles God's done up to this moment. If He did another, if he didn't do any more miracles, you can look back and it's all kinds of things God's done for you. And yes, things that are really that supernatural—there was not, there's no way you could you could come up with an answer for it. God stepped in and did something that no man can do. Let me move on. Point three. Um, I'll probably end it here. I got 12 points. Just kidding. (laughs) But I have six, but I'm going to get to the third one. Listen. Storms have a way of exposing our self-focus. Suddenly, it's every man for himself. They say, Lord, do, do we mean so little to you? You know, people can put on a front about caring for other people until it costs them. And we can act like, oh, well, we're selfless, but there comes a point in our story here. You know what? I, I thought we we're all in this. Their concern was not for Jesus. Their concern was for themselves. Self-focus, self-pity. Is, it's self-focus. When you're, you have self-pity about your life and you think others got it better than you, what's wrong with it is you get your mind on yourself. You wouldn't get discouraged. Just put your mind on yourself, think only about yourself day and night. you will get discouraged. Self pity. Feeling sorry for ourselves. We're too focused on ourselves. We have to stop and see the bigger picture. And you talk to anyone who's been in a trial, something like I've gone through, things you've gone through. Everyone that's been through some tragedy or some trial, it's, it, it will always wake you up and make you think about how selfish you really are. Because you review your life. And you realize, man, you know what? I really am pretty selfish. How I live, how I talk, where I go, what I do. The disciples, I thought these are loving disciples. All they care about, they're not caring about Jesus. No, you don't care about us. When you go through a trial, you got to watch yourself because your focus would be just, just on you. And you got to protect this. You know, it can't be just about me. It's us. Could you say Amen. I have time for one more point? You said it. The storms reveal the view of the Lord. The disciples asked him, who then is this? And that's their problem. That's our problem. They didn't understand the power of God. And neither do we. Who is this man? Well, he's not a man. He's God. That's the problem. When you and I don't understand the power of God, just like the disciples, we underestimate his power. And so what happens in a crisis they panic and every one of us have been in places where we, we got the problem figured out we have it all figured out without god getting involved we think it's going to be okay no, no no we need to look at life you know what it's not just us but we have a god who can step in and help us they left god out of the equation who is this well he's not a man he's god And you better learn how to trust God in the storms of life because your life is a walk by faith. And the better we know the Lord, the better you can trust Him. And storms have a way of driving us to God if we let them. The Bible says Jesus gets up. What does He do? He rebukes the wind and the storm, the waves and the sea. One man said it like this. The greatest danger was not the wind or the waves. It was the unbelief in their hearts. Our greatest problems are within us, not around us. I want you to bow your heads this morning.